Good morning. Well, we have been looking over the last uh, couple of weeks and into today, uh, beginning this new year with just sort of a fresh reminder of what the New Testament Christian life is about, of, of having a, a refreshed vision of God's design and plan for the believer's life. Uh, and, and also comprehending in that, uh, at the very core of that, will involve understanding why is Christianity not just a religion? Why is Christianity not just an, another way of cleaning up your life? Um, that religion is not some means of self-improvement for a believer. Uh, but as we'll be looking at today, uh, salvation and faith in Jesus Christ is about total transformation and ongoing transformation. So as, as I've been looking at this and thinking about it, um, I like lists and, and I like sort of uh, things that build on one another that point one leads to point two and on the way down. And I think part of what I was realizing that's different about this topic is it's not quite that kind of linear process that this is more like a constellation of truths that are all related. Uh, Jesus Christ is the core of that constellation. So, um, you know, we've looked at... In John 15, 1 through 11, we looked at the whole concept of abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. And the recognition that he says, out of that, we will have lives that are joyful and lives that are fruitful. And he talks about that recognition that apart from Jesus, nothing that is true, that is spiritual, that is eternal, that is pleasing to God, apart from Jesus, nothing. So he's, he's laying out that presentation of truth to his disciples that this is about a deeply intimate mutual abiding. Us in him, he in us. His words abiding in us. His truth abiding in us. His love abiding in us. So he, he lays that out. And we also look then at the issue of death and life. And boy, is that uh, all over Scripture, all over the New Testament. That Romans 6 talks about this, where it's talking about that we are, we are buried with Christ, and then we walk in, in verse 4, he says, we walk in newness of life. Verse 6, that we were no longer slaves to sin, And verse 11, that now we are dead to sin and alive to God. And, and as I'm going through this, I, I want to encourage you and challenge you and encourage and challenge myself. Um, after we've been believers for quite a while, quite a while might be a few months, might be a few years, might be even a few decades, that I think we start to hear things where we go, I already know that. Now, I've talked about that before. You and I will never know enough. You and I will never be finished learning the depths of truth that God has for us in these things. So I would encourage you 
make a simple father-son, father-daughter decision. Father, I want to go deeper. I want to hear more. And even if I, I don't get a new thing out of it, I want to pick it up and run with it harder. I want to pick it up and run with it further. I want to pick it up and run with it into in deeper applications and deeper aspects of my mind and my thinking. And in this death and life, uh, I like this also, sort of related to this, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, my sin transferred to Jesus, and then Jesus' righteousness transferred to me. And again, I, I want I want to encourage you, pause for a moment, because I, I think this is always a part of our challenge. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if I were to ask for a show of hands, how many people would raise your hands and say, boy, am I feeling righteous. I just look around at my thoughts, my choices. We'll talk later. Um, <laughs> I, I look at, at my witness I look at my thoughts, my habits, my patterns, and boy, do I feel righteous. And this, this verse and this truth, God is not saying you feel righteous. He's saying, I've declared you righteous. It's a new state of being. And we need to know and believe and trust in that state of being so that we don't avoid God, so that we don't hold him at arm's length. To recognize that you and I, because of the finished work of Christ, are at any one point, we are now worthy to enter his presence. Not because we feel like it, not because we look like it, not because we act like it, but because God has declared it so over the truly finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus isn't working on this. It's done. There's other things he's working on that we're going to look at today. But this is done. You have been covered in the righteousness of Christ. Now you never, if you've put your faith in Christ, you never have to avoid God again. And you could even go to God with the feeling that you have to avoid him. And you get to say, Father, I feel unrighteous. I feel unworthy. But I'm here because I believe you. I'm here because I agree with you that I am covered in the righteousness of Christ. So a big part of me wants to run and hide and avoid you. And I refuse to give authority to that feeling. I refuse to give authority to that thought or that belief. I believe you that I am righteous and welcome here. And another part of this constellation. In fact, let's go look at this. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, where God says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good and acceptable and perfect. There's about 10 sermons at least in those two verses. But, but one thing I just want to pull out and emphasize for now is the recognition. He's saying, bring all of you 
as a living sacrifice. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. God doesn't need another death sacrifice. But he's saying, now bring me your life. And one thing I like about this, it implies the sacrifice of I'm bringing him is my whole life. And in fact, I think I mentioned this just last week or the week before. One thing I frequently see in counseling is how many times people come to counseling, and I thought this way too, so I trust you, I'm, I'm in the same mix, where it's, okay, God, I just want you to fix this problem. God, I want you to help me overcome my anger. God, I want you to help me overcome my lust. God, I want you to help me overcome my financial difficulties and my foolishness of spending. And God, I want you to help me overcome some of the damage in my marriage. God, I want you... And we assign God a section. I give you permission to work on this section. But what God's saying here is, don't bring me a section. Bring me the whole thing. Now, I will be working in that section that's causing you heartache and damage. But you better bring me the whole thing. Because the next verse is tied to that bringing the whole thing. Is if I'm going to be transformed in the renewing of my mind. I cannot simply assign God to one little section. Because part of what God's saying here is. I want to change all your thinking. There is no part of your thinking I want untouched by the new truth of who I am to you and who you are to me. And one of the things, and we've talked about this hundreds of times, I think, in the years past. All I have to do to create damage is my own thing. That's all I have to do to, to cause death and damage. I just got to do my own thing. And it might even look pretty good to me. It might look wise. It might look safe. It might look acceptable. I might even get a lot of people to pat me on the back and say, hey, you're doing pretty good. And if at the root of that, I'm just doing my own thing, I will always be doing damage. Back to the apart from Jesus, nothing. All I have to do is my own thing. And so this recognition, he's saying, bring me all of your thinking. Please invite me to mess with everything. Because one of the things that's in David's prayer of, of Psalm 139 is, Father, I don't even know where I'm damaging. You have to show me my hurtful ways. And that's true for every single one of us sitting in this room. I will not completely or fully even understand my own hurtful ways unless I'm bringing my thinking and submission to him and saying, teach me where I'm wrong I'm willing to hear where I'm wrong. And I think what we frequently say is, Father, I'm willing to see where I'm really, really bad. And what he's saying, I'm not just worried about where you're really bad. I want to change everything. I want you to grow up to think like me. I want you to think like me about every area of your life without the world, and he says not conform to the world, without the world giving you excuses or comparisons that justify sin or less than godliness in you. Bring me everything. And now we go to this passage today. Uh, let's look to the passage that Larry read for us. In verse 3 of Second Peter chapter 1. 
where he says this, saying that God has, oops, I need to do an eraser thing. Where he says, saying that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Listen to this verse with with your heart, your mind, your body, your spirit, your will. For by these, he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So God is is saying, I have given you magnificent promises. Precious promises. So part of the mind check for me is, Father, when I look at your promises, am I going deep enough into understanding your promises? Am I going deep enough into listening to the layers and, and the dimensions of your promises That my heart really gets to this point. My mind really gets to this point. And I'm serious about this. That every now and then you and I would listen to those promises that God's given us. And we would be in awe. And we would say, Father, that's magnificent. That's awesome what you're telling me. That is majestic. That's life changing. You know, we were, we were singing this song this morning, and, and this thought sort of hit me, similar to what I'm talking about right now. So we're singing this song, um, you know, is anyone worthy? Is, is, is anyone majestic? Is anyone able to open the scroll and, and, and break the seal and open the scroll? And we're, we're singing all these majestic things, and we end up with, he is, he is. And I understand all the, all the cultural and social limitations of our public behavior, But that would have been a good moment for all of us to be jumping up and down, screaming. He is. Because he is. And I promise you, I don't promise you, God promises you. I'm echoing his promise. Everybody in here who's put their faith in Jesus Christ, we are going to be in his presence one day with everything sinful in us washed away. And we will be jumping up and down in gratitude. We will, we will not be ashamed of him in any way, shape, or form. We will be with our whole being praising him. And what I pray for our fellowship is that more and more, when we're here on Sunday mornings worshiping, that we become freer and freer and freer to bring our whole heart to this worship. You can worship God wholeheartedly while you're sitting down. You can worship God wholeheartedly while you're standing up. You can worship God wholeheartedly with your hands in front of you or your hands raised or even your hands in your pocket. You can raise God, praise God wholeheartedly. But what I'm going to challenge and encourage you to do is pay attention to your own heart that if you need to change something to worship him more wholeheartedly, that we would choose to do that. If it will help you to stand, then by golly, Stand. It would help you to raise your hands and and see him and honor him with raised hands. Then raise your hands. Not because raised hands makes it automatically holier. Listen to your heart cut loose to worship him. Cut loose to worship him. And to recognize not only are you majestic, Jesus... Not only are you glorious and worthy of all my worship, 
Your promises to me are majestic. They really are. And then part of what he says in that verse is he says they're precious. How many people here used the word precious over the past week? I've talked about this before. A couple of you. So I can use the word precious to a couple of people. Pretty much anybody else, it's not going to sound very cool. But what God is saying is that somehow you and I would grow this mindset because precious means deeply and tenderly treasured. And that we would be able to listen to the promises of God when he says, I've prepared what you need. I've prepared what you need to be transformed into my divine nature. And that when we listen to those promises, we would go, Father, what a tender and precious promise that is. That I would treasure those promises because I have a growing agreement with God that that is a majestic purpose for my life. To be transformed into your divine nature. Now, as, as we look at these things, and, and we're going to add more to that constellation. You know, again, here's, come back, come back. Here's Jesus at the core of all this. And all of these things relate to him. And that part of our growth is that we agree with God. Father, I'm not reading a fairy tale. This is possible for me. Now, I have uh, a young lady in her 50s that I'm working with in counseling who shares many of these truths with other people, encourages other people, and then in private to me, she says, but I don't think those promises work for me. That's heartbreaking. Because what she's saying is, I know this stuff is true, but it's true for you. And, I, and actually, I think I've seen that attitude, even if very few people will say it out loud, that can get excited about teaching the truth of God and offering the promises of God to someone else or to another believer. And they might even be really good and eloquent at describing that for someone else. And what God is saying here is, I want this to be precious to you. I want you pondering my promises of your transformation and then doing something with it because you believe it's possible. You don't believe it's just possible for others. It's not theory. It's a fact and that you and I do because let's go to this passage. He says, if I really believe these precious and magnificent promises for this reason, I'm going to be diligent. So if I hold those promises at arm's length and I hold those majestic and precious truths at arm's length, I won't be diligent. I'll be lackadaisical. Well, God, you know, since nothing really big is going to change anyway, I'll just get to it when I get to it. I'll just sort of dabble in spiritual growth. But I don't have to, I don't have to be diligent about this. And he's not saying get legalistic. He's saying get passionate. Passion is different than legalism. Legalism means I'm going to pat myself on the back because I went down the list and I think I've measured up. I think I'm better than Bob or better than Susie, so I've measured up. That's legalism. 
This is about a passion that says, Father, every time you show me something to grow in, okay, let's get after it. Father, this is precious. This is a treasure. Let's get after it. If it's another burden, I'm probably hearing it through the ears of legalism. Really, God? Another thing? Come on. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought that or felt that. I know I have. Come on, God, another thing? Oh, you're not treasuring this yet. You're hearing it through the wrong mindset. You've not yet been transformed in the renewing of your mind to love what I'm doing with your life. And that fits with Romans. You knew it was coming. Eight. Where he says, I'm working everything in your life to transform you into the likeness of Christ. And that part of what you and I would say, sometimes through, through tears of suffering and anguish, sometimes through rejoicing and, and even just plain old human happiness, sometimes through heartbreak and confusion that we would say, Father, I love that purpose. I choose that purpose. I agree with that purpose. And, and that recognition that the Christian life is not, please join our group and start cleaning up your life. Please join our group. Maybe even believe this list of stuff we believe. And, and work on cleaning your life. Nor is it simply, come get your fire insurance papers. Just come get saved. Um, I think I talked about this song a couple of years ago. But uh, my favorite worship album in the car is a really old Amy Grant. Um, what do they call those things? CD. Um, I don't know how to get it on anything else. So that recognition that here's a worship thing, and, and there's lots of really good worship songs. There's one song on that CD, though, that's not a worship song. It's a slap in the face. And it's about Fat Baby. Anybody here remember the song Fat Baby? I'm all alone. You remember it? <laughs> okay. And, and Amy Grant is singing this song. She says, I knew a man, maybe you know him too. What's even worse is he might be you. And she talks about the fact that, you know, he, he knelt at the altar and he got saved. And that was enough for him. And doctrine leaves him cold. He doesn't want to be challenged. He, he wants his bottle. And, and he just wants to keep sipping milk. And he doesn't want to go any further or any deeper because he's going to heaven. And I would be sad to say, and I, I, I don't know if some research, actually I do know some research has been done, but I didn't look it up. How many believers in the United States that I would sadly say are real believers, they really have put their faith in Jesus Christ, who are content staying right where they are with God? And again, let's look at this passage in 2 Peter. Now for this very reason, verse 5. Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, love. So, similar, similar to the fruits of the Spirit. So... 
in the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And I also want to include Ephesians 5, 18, where he talks about being filled with the Spirit. We've talked about that before. He doesn't mean, he really doesn't. I don't know what your thinking is on this. He doesn't mean, go get a bigger chunk of the Holy Spirit. Go get more of Him. All of Him dwells within you. What He's talking about is that you and I would be surrendering more of us. Father, this room too, this basement too, this little dark corner of the attic of my life and my mind, more and more of us open to Him. And so all of those things recognizing this is more than salvation. Again, whoops. This is more than salvation. Again, transformation. And we're more and more and more, this is hard. I hold nothing and one thing I like about this passage in, in 2 Peter because he starts with his promises he has granted us promises precious, magnificent that equip us to be transformed into the divine nature but what's interesting is in verse 5 he's now giving you and I a command now because you agree with all that stuff Because this constellation of truths belongs to you and you agree with it. Go be diligent. So this is not me sitting in my little prayer closet going, Dear God, transform me. I'm going to sit here until it's done. I might even watch some cat videos or something while we're waiting. But I'm trusting you to get it done. That's not real faith. That's that's the lazy pretense of faith. Faith means I I hear you and I go do. As James says about Abraham, I hear you and I go do what you've said. And so God is saying, you know what? Look into my life and say, Father, are there areas where I get to be more diligent about applying these magnificent promises so that my faith grows, my knowledge grows, my godliness grows? My kindness grows. My love grows. And very frequently, we're content, sadly, in our culture, this, we lean this way in the evangelical world, I'm content to grow in doctrinal understanding. Well, now I know more doctrine than I did five years ago. I think I'm a really much stronger Christian today. And God would actually say, I believe he would, he would say, I love that you've learned more doctrine. Now go be diligent with it. Go apply it to something. Go treat someone with greater kindness. Go stop treating them with unkindness. Go pursue godliness. Look at all the layers and dimensions of your life. And when you see something that doesn't look like Jesus Christ, let's you and I in partnership diligently attack that area for growth diligently attack that area for growth. Not for condemnation, not for discouragement, not to decide I'm hopeless, but for growth. And again, that is, as we continue into this new year, I really pray this. I really pray this for myself 
and for each of us here, that we would say, Father, let's make this a year of diligent growth. Not fearful growth, not growth under a constant cloud of condemnation, joyful growth, fruitful growth. And I, I wasn't going to make this an assignment, but I wanted to bring it up. Uh, some of you I know already have a plan to read scripture, to read the Bible this year. So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or anything, but I know some of you already have a plan to read the Bible this year. There are some of you that you would go, the whole Bible in one year? It's doable. But that's not the reason I'm bringing it up. What I would say is, if, if it sounds intimidating to read the whole Bible, just read the Bible every day. If it sounds intimidating to read the whole Bible, read the whole New Testament. You're now a son or daughter of the New Covenant. Get to know the New Covenant. You now live in a whole new relationship with, with God of the universe than Moses and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and, and all of those guys. You actually have a more intimate, you and I have access to a more intimate relationship with God because we dwell in the age of the new covenant. And we, and we celebrate every month where Jesus said, here's my blood of the new covenant. Without my death, there would be no new covenant. And you and I get to recognize that new covenant means something. It will change my life to keep understanding this new covenant better. So, Father, let's make 2020 the year I really dive into understanding the new covenant better. I think that's a good place to end. So I'm going to encourage you as we go into the week, as we go into the year, that we're saying, Father, I want to understand this constellation of majestic and precious promises. That I get to abide in Christ, and you, Christ, you come and abide in me joyfully. And the reason you can come abide in me joyfully is because you've cleansed me. And now I am a worthy vessel. That's another thing. If I asked you, do you feel like you're a worthy vessel for the God of the universe to come dwell in? I doubt very many of you would raise your hand and say, boy, am I feeling like a worthy vessel. He just says you are because he's the one who cleansed you. When David in Psalm 51 is pouring out his heart of sorrow and repentance after, after sinning with Bathsheba and, and sinning against God, and he says, you know what? If you wash me, I will be clean. If you wash me, I will be whiter than snow. And he was recognizing, you know what? If I clean up my own act, there's going to be garbage tucked in corners all over the place. But if I receive your cleansing, I am thoroughly, completely, eternally, and believably clean. Now I'm a worthy recipient of your spirit. Let's pray together. Father, as we go into the day, as we go into the week, I pray for myself, Father. I really pray for myself and each one of us that we would be wise enough to pursue a deeper treasuring of your precious and magnificent promises. Father, that this constellation of truths of abiding in you and you abiding us, of dying to sin and alive to God, of our sin 
placed on your son and your son's righteousness covering us. Of your spirit filling us. Of your spirit equipping us and bringing us the life of Christ. Of this incredible exchange that everything evil and ugly in us, Jesus became so that we could be transformed and become like you. And that we would be diligent, Father, not fearful, not out of frantic avoidance of condemnation, but out of a joyful comprehension, a deeper vision, Father, and I pray that, that this church fellowship among ourselves, back and forth between each other, that we would pray for and nourish a more accurate, deeper, more exciting, more joyful vision of what it means to be transformed into the divine nature and to believe that it's possible with little old me that you can get this done. And like Paul, we can say we're not finished. Like Paul, we can admit we won't get finished here on the planet. But like Paul, we can say that we absolutely press on. We don't quit. We remain diligent with joy, with amazement with treasuring. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.